I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that Kennedy Batman podcast. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa. Hey. with friends and people. Welcome to another Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears about the legendary 1990s cartoon, Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor... Daggett Cosmetics, because you'll never look beautiful until you cover up your entire face with other things. Pretty soon we'll be digging into What Is Reality, one of the show's three Riddler episodes. Pretty cool. I'm excited because this is actually the first time that I got a chance to sit down with one of the writers from the show, and he doesn't disappoint. That's right, in just a few minutes you'll hear me talk with Robert N. Skier, who co-wrote the episode in question. Get it? Riddler? Question? (laughs) <laughs> you love it. You all love it. He says stuff like this. Because I said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to write cartoons. And uh, uh, we came to the agreement that if we were going to write at the top of our intelligence, if we were going to work really hard, if we were going to fight about this stuff, like it really mattered, then I wanted to do it. And joining us will be comedian and Batman fan, Yak Manrique. He says stuff like this. Just watching the show, yeah, like, it was just so serious and so dangerous. I think the only cartoon that came on when it, like, started getting dark outside. So it seemed like an event, you know, it was like nighttime television. But first, let's check in on the nerd levels of today's episode with everybody's favorite robot who looks like Kevin Conroy but isn't Kevin Conroy, Kevin Conroybot. Hello, human listeners. Today's nerd level is... Fried wonton surprise. Fried wonton surprise, huh? Well, it sounds like we're going to have a delightfully crispy conversation about writing in general with some meaty stories of what it takes to write for Batman. I just don't know what the surprise is. Surprise! I am surprising you now with a surprise interview with the Riddler. Wait, an interview with the actual Riddler? Yes, here he comes now. I don't see anybody here. That's because you're looking in the wrong place. Look down, doof troop. Oh, gross. Is that a dirty old man rummaging through my sock drawer? No, I'm a closet troll. Riddler, annoyed to meet you. You're not the Riddler. Certainly I am. Riddler. It's my job to get rid of things. Let's start with all these clean underpants you got in here. Hey, hold on a sec. I need that underwear. It's clean. Who needs clean underpants? Fib fab. And there you go. Oh, come on. You've got a tiny flamethrower? Magical, huh? It's not magic. It's kind of magic. It throws flame. Whooshy, whooshy. Fib fab. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Just watch as this magic takes care of your old tax papers. No, I need those. There they go. Oh, maybe you had wanted this nice double-breasted suit? I need that suit. I'm going to, like, three weddings this summer. I think not. With the magic, it happens. No, stop it. Stop it. 
Perhaps you were hoping to keep these baby pictures. Please, not those. Not while the Riddler's in town, Mama! Goodbye, sayonara! Stop burning my stuff! I couldn't help but notice that your closet was full of clothes, so I'm doing you the favor of magically filling it with ash! We go. It looks like a cigar party happened in here. Okay, stop. That's enough. Oh, behold. A trapper keeper with the name of your crush written upon it in black sharpie pen. I flamethrower eyes it because I care not for your crushes. Stop it. Oh, wow. Look. Bazumba's Magazine, the classiest of pornographic reading materials you ever will find. What? Where did that magazine come from? Come on. This one's for me. It's not getting rid of. No, that's a vintage Bazumba's. Zip-fam. Okay, that's enough. Get out of here before I kick you out. Are you getting rid of me? I like your style. We should hang out. Yeah, never in a million years. Okay, then. See you at my place underneath a dirty old rug. I've got some expired Buffalo Wild Wings dipping sauces. It'll be great. Fib fab! Oh, Justin, I made a terrible mistake. How could I have thought that that was the real Riddler? No. Uh, well, that was interesting. I gotta get a lock for that closet. Ah, uh, man, that troll smelled like old chips. But you're not here to hear me talk about old chips. You want to get to... Today's episode, What is Reality? To prove he has a superior mind, the Riddler lures Batman inside a virtual reality computer game by trapping Commissioner Gordon inside. This originally aired on November 24th, 1992. It was written by Marty Eisenberg and Robert N. Skier, directed by Dick Seabast, music by Richard Bronskill, animation by Ackham Production Company, I don't know how to pronounce that, with guest voice John Glover as the Riddler. Now, what is Reality is the show's second servant of old Edward Nigma after he first got an origin episode as a disgruntled video game designer in If You're So Smart, Why Aren't You Rich? The Riddler was, I don't know, always one of my favorite Batman villains. Maybe I identified with him as an intellect-based foe because I was a nerdy kid with glasses, or, or maybe I just had residually fond memories of Frank Gorshin playing him in the 60s. Either way, it's always fun to see Batman forced into doing some actual detective work. But this episode isn't just your classic Riddler story. I mean, sure, it's got some fun puzzles and clues in the first half, but it's the surreal, dreamlike virtual reality sequences that really make this episode shine. You know, most of the series is pretty grounded in the real world, so it's just plain fun to see an episode where Batman morphs into a knight and rides a Pegasus from a chessboard into space, or watch an army of Riddlers versus an army of Batman with sledgehammer hands duke it out in front of a giant Rubik's Cube. I mean... That's a thing I didn't know I wanted to see, but when I saw it, I was like, how could I never have wanted to see this? John Glover's Riddler only sweetens the deal, with a performance that always does a great job capturing the nuance of this lovably smarmy egomaniac. Can you be lovably smarmy? I just coined it. I just said it. You're gonna love the smarm of this guy's farm, and he's farming riddles. Okay, enough talk. It's time for more talk with... Today's fan, Yak Manrique. Yak is an L.A. comedian and Batman fan through and through. He's part of the sketch comedy group Private Street and actually met today's guest through comedy. Today's guest, Robert N. Skier. Robert N. Skier is not only the co-writer of What is Reality, but he also co-wrote the Batman the Animated Series episodes Lock Up and His Silicon Soul, as well as the Superman episode Fun and Games, which is one of my favorite episodes of that show. He's a veteran of writing for TV animation, from Gargoyles and X-Men and Spider-Man to Beetlejuice, the Extreme Ghostbusters, and Godzilla. He has covered the breadth of everything that is awesome. You'll soon come to understand that he is a true nerd and a fan of the material he gets to write for, and... 
you know, it was just a blast to hear his enthusiasm and passion shine through. He's got a lot of great stories. He's going to talk a lot. And I think you're going to be very happy that he talks as much as he does because everything he says is damned interesting. Uh, so take it away, interstitial music. The two of you met in an improv class, right? Yeah. Years ago, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were taking improv with Tim Simic over at uh, a company called Slow Children at Play in North Hollywood. Yeah. We're just plugging away here. <laughs> and uh, we had to be good friends. And, yeah. Yeah. We would uh, go to class, and it was really, it was short, like short-form improv. And then after class, we'd go eat at Bob's Big Boy and just talk about movies and comics. Bob's and, and Bob. Yeah, 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 yeah. So really cool. did you have improv experience up until that point or were you just getting into it at that? I was just getting into it. Well, I had been doing it for a couple of years when I met Yak, but um, uh, one of my best friends is Len Wein and he had been mm-hmm. doing improv for a very long time. And he kept saying, you know, uh, I have to take the classes with him. And I'm like, well, I don't know, because I was very sort of self-conscious. <laughs> and, uh, and finally, I started taking classes. Yeah. And... Um, just really, really, really loved it. Yeah. So, um, and Len Wein was in the class with us. Which that's was, so cool. Yeah. When he told me, I was like, wait, what? And then Bob, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> it was so crazy. Yeah. So, what was your reaction when you found out? I thought it was uh, like too good to be true. Like, there's no way these are the people that shaped my childhood. <laughs> you know? For those of you who, who may or may not know, Len Wein uh, was the creator of Wolverine and Swamp yeah. Thing. Yeah. And uh, he created Star Labs. So every time you hear Star Labs and The Flash or whatever, he created a bunch of stuff for DC and Marvel. And uh, I didn't also, know that he was the Star Labs guy. He was. He created yeah. Star the Labs. The Star Labs guy. <laughs> he, also, he also created uh, Lucius Fox. Interesting. And, yeah. So uh, he came up with what he described as a businessman in a suit. And, <laughs> and, uh, and he was told, you, you know, you... you have to you know basically it's like you have to take credit for this and so because he got the credit for writing the character he winds up getting a piece whenever lucius fox shows up in the movies and whenever lucius fox shows up in uh, in gotham and he's going to be there next season so uh that's so cool yeah dc did this really cool thing for a very long time paul levitz was in charge and this is not standard practice in comics but when Paul Levitz was in charge of DC Comics, he made sure that when people created characters, they participated in the, uh, they had profit participation on some level. Cool. So if the characters appeared in the comics, well, that's just fair game. But as soon as they went to another medium, as soon as they went to animation or movies or live action TV, then the people would get compensated for it, which uh, it's, it's, it doesn't happen in other companies. Yeah, that yeah. seems like an incredible rare thing. Yeah. It's kind of yeah, like yeah. usually when you create a character in another company, it's like, great, we own this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> And yeah. that's the way it is now. When the major corporations take over, they just, they make sure, you know, well, they can profit from them yeah. as much as they can and don't necessarily uh, have to, which is why when mm-hmm. Paul Levitz was publisher over at DC, it was a very, very... Um, it was really good to have somebody who cared about the creators to such a degree. So I'm going to make a big shout out to Paul Levis for being <laughs> a great, great human being and for making sure that people got compensated for the things that they did. It's, uh, it's, it's really lovely. Yeah, it's nice when people do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so it was cool. Just doing improv with these guys and then just hanging out after them and just like picking their brain about stuff. Yeah, what was one of the first questions that you asked? Like how they even got started. Because it's like a dream. Like how do you even 
do it? You know, how do you get into like writing for these characters and creating these characters? And it's just so interesting to hear like they both have, you know, very different stories. I would have lost my mind. I think I would have been too shy (laughs) and I wouldn't have, I would, I would have been like, you know what? I'm not even going to bring it up. (laughs) Like I'm going to act like, you know, like I don't want to be a weirdo, (laughs) Yeah. which like, I don't know if you're earnestly into something, I'm sure you've run across your fair share of like nice people and kind of weirder people uh, <laughs> mostly really nice people yeah yeah the, the the fans that i've run into at conventions and things they tend to be really cool and they tend that's to the be best nasty. yeah absolutely um people frequently ask you know yeah how did you get started and yeah. it's, it's the question that people get asked the most and every single person has a different story mm-hmm. so there's no like one way to do it it was right. like if you wanted to be in hollywood you know you start out and, like you want to be an, an agent you start out at william morris in the mailroom <laughs> well there's no real career track for this yeah. so you just basically do you know just everybody finds some other way to get in yeah uh, i started out as a major fan I was at conventions. Long I was going to ask. So you were a huge, huge big comic time fan. comic book nerd. Oh yeah, I mean crazy. I um I I I never gave up reading comics. I was reading comics when I was in uh, you know like like grade school, like everybody else. But when people started fading away from it, <laughs> they were like you know ten or eleven. Um, no, that's when I just picked up Steam. That's when I discovered <laughs> Marvel and and Spider Man and all that stuff. And that stuff was heading into amazing ter- territory. When I was that age, that's when, like when I was uh, 11 or 12 or something, just to completely date myself, <laughs> that's when they killed Gwen Stacy. Oh, like, man. It was a real ground zero moment Shit. because nobody could have seen that coming. No. Yeah. And then uh, um, they started doing books like Adam Warlock and they started, they brought back the X-Men as the all new, all different X-Men mm-hmm. and they went from being this really, I never liked the original X-Men, but when they brought them back with Wolverine and Nightcrawler and Storm, they just went electric. It was mm. brilliant stuff. Yeah. So, But, I mean, I was a huge comic fan. Started out with DC, went into Marvel, just ate this stuff up voraciously. <laughs> and I used to go to conventions all the time, and I'd look up to people like Len Wein and Marv Wolfman, and, yeah. and uh, you know, you'd see like Stan Lee or Jack Kirby, and you'd be like, I'm not worthy. <laughs> but I, um, I came out here and went to film school. I wanted to write screenplays. Where did you go? I went to, well, I went to college in Virginia. I majored in English. And then I went to graduate school at UCLA. And while I was there, I I, uh, focused in screenwriting. I got my master's in screenwriting. But I also took a lot of animation classes because I couldn't go to UCLA and not take advantage of the animation workshop. It just seemed silly. And, you know, I've been animating since I was a little kid. You know, you watch the Ray Harryhausen movies and you're like, hey, I want to do that too. So you were doing stop motion or like claymation? When I was a kid, I was doing everything. I mean, I, you know, grabbed an 8 millimeter. Back then we had, back then we used film. We had uh, Super 8 cameras. Yeah. uh, So I would go out with my friends and we'd shoot, you know, movies in the backyard. What was Um, one of your favorite movies that you shot as a kid? uh, Without a doubt, it was called Resurrection. (laughs) Resurrection. A friend of mine, um, let's see, we were, in, we, were in my, we were in my friend Scott's backyard, and he's chasing me for some reason, and he shoots me dead. So I wind up uh, in a cemetery, only I dig my way out of the grave. Now I'm a corpse. And uh, um, we, we, we actually buried me in the backyard. They put dirt on top of me, just enough to make me dirty. Then they put like all these... Um, all these leaves on top, like like I rose from the grave yeah. and I hunted him down and killed him, and it was really kind of cool because he had this balcony and I fought him with the balcony, and then we made this dummy, and so when I grabbed him, I did this edit where you couldn't quite see the edit. It was a really nice trick, and so uh, when I threw him over the balcony, it looked like for a second you'd be convinced. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And when you're 14 years old, 
It's like, yeah. it's like, wow, that's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Sure, yeah. But then I would come home with my clothes all filled because I was buried in the woods and I explained to my mom <laughs> <laughs> like why I was so filthy and yeah. she thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Uh, that's great. Because some folks, I don't think they would be in that, um, they'd be like uh, really good sports about it. Yeah. So your mom like was really supportive of you. Yeah. My folks are being very supportive creative. of this crazy stuff. Does yeah, that movie was, exist somewhere? You know what? It, uh, uh, it it simply has to. If I find it, I'm going to transfer it to DVD. Please do. And then you can post it for me. I would me. love to post it for you. Put it on YouTube. Yeah. Put it, that's right, yes. It's going to live forever, dude. It's been uh, like 40 years in the making. <laughs> the <laughs> Literally. It was, I think I made it in 19, uh, 1975. The resurrection because of... Because I'm old. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that's the tagline of today's episode. Yeah. Uh. Because Bob is old. So, um, but yeah, cool. I used to... I, I was interested in everything, so I would like draw comic book characters about as well as you can imagine, and I would make Super 8 movies with my friends, I, um, I did animation, so I would take, they had these Star Trek Mego dolls back then, uh-huh. and so I, um, I made a Star Trek motion picture four years before they did, and mine was $40 million less, and a lot more exciting, because Spock fought the werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> Amigo werewolf, which um, I tore it up with like extra fur and stuff, and it looked really great. And Dr. McCoy gets picked up by a Tyrannosaurus Rex, which was the Aurora Tyrannosaurus Rex model from back then. And uh, I think Spock shoots it and disintegrates it. It was spectacular. <laughs> you go to the Star Trek movies, there's no werewolves. No, we need more werewolves and T-Rex. There's no T-Rex. T-Rex. Yeah, sure. in Star Trek. Where are they? You'd think if they went to all these planets with like, yeah. you know, there were like Vikings and there mm-hmm. were like uh, Nazis and there sure. were like uh, gangsters. Yeah, they're... where were the dinosaurs? Yeah. Hey, wait a minute. 15 minutes ago, the question was, how do we get started? So <laughs> I got a degree in screenwriting. I wrote lots of screenplays. They all met with monumental indifference. <laughs> and around the time, I was friends with a guy named, a guy named Marty Eisenberg. And we decided we were going to like write stuff together. He had just gotten his degree at USC. Mm-hmm. And the two of us figured out that we could write together. We enjoyed writing together. And we were each taking different part-time jobs, different kind of temp jobs in different places. He wound up temping at Fox Kids when Fox Kids was incipient. It wasn't even like, they didn't even have real office furniture at that point. Like some of the people were sitting on boxes. I mean, they really, really- Box like, Kids. So <laughs> Box this Box Kids, Kids Network, they like, really at the ground floor. And he was working for a guy named Sidney Iwanter, who I'm gonna talk about later because he's really important. Um, <laughs> My friend was, was working with Sidney Iwanter, who was an executive there, who said, you know, hey, you know, hey, kid, what do you really want to do? And I'll tell you what I want her. <laughs> that's right. And uh, uh, what he got to, he, he, he wanted to write, and the executive was in charge of Peter Pan and the Pirates. So we got to cool. pitch a couple of ideas for Peter Pan and the Pirates, none of which were bought. But the next show they did was Beetlejuice. And my partner said, do you, you, know, you want to pitch for Beetlejuice? And I'm like, no. Because, <laughs> you know, cartoons at that point, you know, like, like late 80s, they were, they, 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 there was a weakness that had really, really settled in for animation where things were soft and they were silly and they were safe. And there was the happy clowns of Mutel Mesa. Or I don't know what the hell. <laughs> and, you know, there were things like Care Bears and there were things like... And a lot know, of it was pretty cheap, too. Like, you... But it was, but it was, it was young and it was soft and it was safe, and I was not interested in that. And what Marty pointed out was, okay, they want to do this show the way like Mighty Mouse was done because they just did Ralph Bakshi's Mighty Mouse, which if you haven't seen it, is it's like it's amazingly funny. Uh, Ralph Bakshi did it for CBS in like 1988, and it was just amazing stuff. It was the beginning of the rebirth of animation on television. 
and it was right before Tiny Toons, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, cartoons got great again. Yeah. yeah, yeah and so yeah. what Marty told me was, okay, they're going to do this stuff like the old Warner Brothers. They want to go wacky and irreverent and really, really funny. Because cool. I'd seen the ABC Beetlejuice, and you know, it was it was nice, it was soft, it was tame. And the show happened largely in Peaceful Pines. So, you know, here you have sort of suburban neighborhood, and here's Beetlejuice, and he's making trouble. And I was watching a few episodes, and I'm like, well, this is, this is good. This is okay. But the Fox show, it was going to be based in the neither world. So all of reality was going to be up for grabs. And any kind of ghost horror, whatever, you know, silly parody, whatever we wanted to do was just out there for the taking. And Marty and I came to an agreement. <laughs> Because I said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to write cartoons. And uh, we came to the agreement that if we were going to write at the top of our intelligence, if we were going to work really hard, if we were going to fight about this stuff, like it really mattered, then I wanted to do it. But if we were going to waste the time of nine-year-olds 30 minutes at a time, I was just not interested in doing that. So if it was going to be, you know, we're just going to write silly cartoons and what's good enough for the kids, they won't pay attention. Um, it's, it's, I did not want to do that. I wanted to work my ass off and do something really good. I love how much it meant to you, man. It's so, it's great. And so we got a reputation for doing really good work. And it was the same time that they were getting Batman underway. Huh, good segue. Interesting. <laughs> uh, so tell were, me more about this Batman, Batman. fellow. <laughs> so um, Batman was being developed by Warner Brothers. And Sidney Iwanter over at Fox was the executive behind it. He was also the executive later on, or around the same time, actually, but on, uh, on X-Men. Um, the people in charge of X-Men, like the, the story editor who was developing it, didn't know the characters really well. And I had just written an X-Men screenplay because I'm insane. And so I had distilled everything. And I, was, I, I knew how the characters dreamed. So... I was called in as the X-Men expert, <laughs> and I was helping develop some of the characters, and I was helping sort of... I was, I was there to, to sort of make sure that the show you know, was right in the ways it needed to be right in terms of the characters. Because my basic feeling about all this stuff is, if you get the characters right, people will glom on to the show. For that series, for the X-Men... It was a series about civil rights, and they took it completely seriously. They attacked it directly. They did it in a mature way. They told stories that were thoughtful and thought-provoking, and it's because Sidney was at the helm, you know, basically pounding his desk saying, you know, these, these stories need to be better. These, you know, we need to, you know, it's, he's, he totally got it and wanted to see it done right. Yeah. And on Batman... Um, they had an incredible design for the show. Bruce Tim came up with this look for the series that was remarkable. Yeah. It was utterly groundbreaking. And there was a test footage that they did, which sort of became the impetus for what became the opening title sequence. Right. Mm-hmm. But the original version of it, which I think you may have seen, it's probably out there somewhere. I'm sure it's on a DVD somewhere. It's probably on... It, it cannot but be on YouTube somewhere. It's this... It's the opening titles only done in a much more stylized way. It was just like... It was crazy the way it was uh, designed and, and animated because they wanted to show, this is how we can do Batman and do it really, really stylized and make it really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was, let's do Batman and let's do it right. Let's do it dark. Let's do it, you know. And so they started doing the series. They started writing the scripts and they started putting together the storyboards. And were you involved at the beginning of the series or were you brought on later? I, I'm i going to put it this way. I wasn't brought on at all. 
Um, they did a remarkable series. They redefined Batman. To me, the definitive Batman is Batman the Animated Series. Yeah, I mean, they, agreed. They, mm -hmm. they created something for the ages. And from my point of view, I got to write three episodes of it. I got to participate in something and contribute a little tiny bit to something that everybody else got to make into something completely epic. So I look at my role there as kind of like I got, to, I got to spend some time at the party. And I'm right. grateful to it. But not but, everybody gets invited to that party. Yeah. I know. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, yeah <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I, I, I totally, totally um, appreciate having been part of it. I yeah. feel like I'm honored to have been part of it. But I can't look at it and claim, you know, any kind of authorship over it. Mm -hmm. So I can't say what we did was we made, you know, we, <laughs> we created, we, we just redefined Batman for the ages. They redefined Batman for the ages. So how did you get involved with Batman the Animated Series? Well, they were developing it. It was done for Fox Kids. Uh, my writing partner, Marty, was in fact working for Sydney, who was the executive behind it. Mm -hmm. um, I was not being given scripts and storyboards to look at because that would have been wrong. But if I had, I would have been reading them and seeing what they were doing with the series and, you know, seeing. So you were not very excited about the direction the series was going. I was not very excited about everything that I was not seeing. Um, <laughs> so. Were you geeking out at that point just as like a Batman fan? Well, I was looking at it as a professional, seeing something professional being put together. And I was excited about the fact that these guys knew what they were doing and were doing something wonderful. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Um, I don't want to get in trouble, but here you go. The first 18 episodes or so, the first 18 scripts or so, were kind of not great. The first, they, they, they had people in charge of the series who were not delivering stuff that was making the network happy. Mm -hmm. Now, once again, it's like, oh, my God, these network people, they just don't get it. Oh, they want to homogenize everything. Sydney's reading these scripts going, these, these aren't doing it. These aren't, these aren't delivering it. These, these aren't thoughtful, and they're not dark, and they're not what we, they, they're not what we need. And he, um, he, was, he was not happy. And he called up, you know... People like Gene McCurdy over at um, uh, Warner Brothers and said, we need to sit down and talk about this. We need to fix this. Gene McCurdy was the head of Warner Brothers Animation back then, and she was a goddess. I mean, uh, she I don't know if she was a fan of superhero stuff, but she had a respect for it enough that she would sit back and let the people who really, really loved this stuff, she recognized talent and she got out of their way, which is the way it really ought to be. Mm -hmm. And she also, she, you know, she was, she masterminded and she was, you know, as, as the head of the studio, um, she was behind Tiny Toons, she was behind uh, Animaniacs, Animaniacs yeah, yeah. and Pinky and the Brain and all that stuff, all the stuff Warner The Brothers revival of like incredible animation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm laying that right at Gene McCurdy's feet. Yeah. <laughs> And um, so the initial run of Batman episodes was not up to snuff. Well, at that point. Well, what happened was Sidney called up and he said, "These scripts aren't really delivering. We, you know, we need to talk." And it was at that point that they brought in Alan Burnett, mm -hmm. who put together as, as producer and basically, you know, the the head of the writing. Mm -hmm. um, he was the executive producer, and he brought in the story editors, uh, um, Marty Pascoe and Michael Reeves, and Paul Dini. And it's those four people 
who really brought the narrative drive to the series. Yeah. I mean, the look of the show was there. You had uh, Bruce Tim and this like, force of nature. The series had this incredible look. Yeah. But you needed to have the stories. You needed to have sure. scripts that were worthy of these designs. And now around the same time, I mean, I was reading all these scripts. I, I wasn't reading all these scripts. They were not being You were reading me. other scripts. <laughs> but um, I was reading a whole bunch of the, 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 the Batman scripts, and some of them were iffy, and some of them were okay. And Do you a remember Batman any story. that didn't actually like go to air? or They, they all got made. You oh. know? I mean, they weren't bad. They just weren't wonderful. Mm-hmm. They weren't... You know, it wasn't like, oh my God, what have they done here? It's more like, well, you know, they were lukewarm, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just lukewarm. Until... I got to this one script called Heart of Ice, which was written by Paul Dini. Right. And it's a Mr. Freeze script, so that went to the bottom of the pile. (laughs) And when I finally read it, um, I read this script, and I call it Marty, and I go, who's Paul Dini? (laughs) And his answer was, he's the guy who can do Tiny Toons amazing and do Batman amazing. And the script was poignant, and it was wonderful, and it was dark, and it was funny, and it was surprising. And it's, it was the best of the batch. It's, it's a fucking Mr. Freeze script. Yeah, Mr. Freeze up until that point was a goofy, kind of gimmicky mm-hmm. villain. Yeah. And they made him into this incredible, incredible character. So and Heart of Ice is what kind of transformed your idea of what the show could be? That was the first script that I read where it, this, this series became Batman, the animated series. It's like, this is what the show wants to be. This is as smart and surprising and witty, and that was the one. And, um, you know, Paul Dini wound up writing all the Joker episodes, and he created Harley Quinn. And, you know, the guy's a genius. He's utterly fantastic. Um, and Marty Pasco and Michael Reeves, uh, as story editors also... You know, they brought in the best talent that they could find, and they worked really. And they, once again, these these were people who were really, really masters at storytelling, who would bring in writers and get the best work out of them. And you wound up with these incredible characters and these incredible stories. And what they would do was they would look at the old characters and say, "Okay, how do we get into their brains? What really makes them tick?" Dini was a genius at this kind of stuff. So when he got people like you know Mr. Freeze or the Clock King or whoever, he would he would say, you know, okay, well, who are these people as people? I loved the Clock King episodes, and it was a character that, you know, you could have... Once again, yeah, yeah, the Clock King, really? That's who I'm going to write? <laughs> but yeah. then he was this obsessive, compulsive guy yeah. who freaked out because his day was ruined. Yeah, yeah. And what they did with um, the Riddler, bringing it full way around... Here we go. They decided with the Riddler that they were going to try something different. So instead of just doing the whole kind of Frank Gorshin, sort of, you know, this strange Bob Fosse kind of swirling around maniac character. And what Frank, Gor- what Frank Gorshin did in the Batman series in the 60s was a work of genius. I mean, he was a deranged, deranged, scary character. He was amazing. He was as deranged and scary, it's like, it's like that was the perfect Joker. What he was doing with the Riddler—that's <laughs> what I always felt. The perfect Joker, and he was scary. And what they decided to do was, well, for this series, they decided you know to update it and make it relevant for today. I shouldn't say it that way because it sounds like I'm you know when they try and do that kind of stuff, it always winds up bad. <laughs> um, but no, I mean to to sort of update the character, they made him a computer criminal, and so he you know he was obsessed with riddles. But, you know, he's, he is a creature of pure intellect. Mm-hmm. And so he was a computer villain. And 
they brought in David Wise to do the first episode with him called... If You're So Smart, Why Aren't You Rich? Exactly. And it was a terrific episode. Yeah, it's great. It's that maze of the Minotaur video mm, game. That's right. And he, he was, you know, video game villain guy. And a terrific episode. Really, really terrific episode. And... I don't know how to phrase this, so I'm just going to put it out there. It's like, it's like David Wise did an incredible job with the character. He wrote an incredible script. Um, you know, it's like, like, well, you'd think they would have brought him back to the next episode. I think David Wise at that point was on a different series. That's what happened. He was, he was somewhere else and he wasn't available. Because I'm like, why didn't they bring him back? But mm-hmm. they didn't bring him back because he was, he was then spearheading something else. Um, so they invited Marty and I to write for the, you know, to write a Riddler episode. Right. What is reality? What is reality? How and excited were you when they offered you that? Oh my God. What, were you were you scared at all too, like to make sure you did it justice? You know, what, was I scared? I mean, think about it. I'd known these characters forever. They were in my heart. They were in my soul. Yeah. I could, you know, in my sleep, I knew I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I was terrified. But we were we, at that point. We were we were still doing you know Little Shop of Horrors and Beetlejuice, funny mm-hmm. stuff. Marty's a funny guy. His whole you know bent is toward like the Marx Brothers and stuff. And you know me, I'm like comic book crazy guy so i'm like okay marty um you know you're good with the comedy stuff but batman is you know that's comics so when batman comes just get out of the way let me do this and nobody gets hurt and so it's like okay here's batman and at the same time x-men came along Mm -hmm. and i'm like uh, simultaneously and i'm Mm -hmm. like i'm like uh marty you take batman because <laughs> nothing was going to keep me away from Wolverine. And before we start talking about the episode, I'm just going to say right out, just put it out there 100%. Uh, um, what is reality was Marty's episode. It's Marty's victory. It's Marty's, you know, it's, 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 I look at that and it's like, it's like, this is the one Marty did. And he should be proud of every moment of it because it's a terrific episode. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's that. Okay. <laughs> but that being said, um, you know, I was instrumental in a lot of the, you know, fundamental ideas behind it. So I want to talk about what I contributed and how ideas came to be formed. Yeah. And what stuff. was the process? Yeah. Um, but. That being said, this is Marty's episode. It's Marty's victory. And I just want to be very, very clear about that. Cool. So that when I talk about the stuff that I contributed, it isn't like I'm taking credit for the episode. I can take credit for some of the ideas behind the episode. But the episode itself is Marty's. Just putting it out there. Cool. And that's part of what writing with a partner is like. Yeah. You know, you well, might it be... Is because at that point, we would... When we were first writing Snuggle Juice, we... It's like I wrote page one through eight. And he wrote, you know, the bottom of page eight through page 15 and then I took over from page 15 and it was crazy it's like that's not the way to write scripts but we did it and then when we were working on the next bunch of scripts it's like well you know what you take act one and I'll take act two and by the time we got to do Batman and X-Men it was like you know what you do Batman and I'll do X-Men so instead of just you know uh, divvying up parts of a script it's like okay you take this script and I'll take this script and eventually it worked into okay you take this series and I'll take this series but everything that we wrote crossed each other's desks. Mm-hmm. Everything had the benefit of fresh eyes. Everything had the benefit of, you know, having two separate people with two different aesthetics going through looking at it. And it, it really enriched the voices in the episodes because, you know, we, we really plussed each other's work like nobody's business. Yeah. But to get to this particular episode, about a year before, when they first announced doing 
uh, Batman. The, you know, the idea was, okay, well, they're doing Batman. What can we do that's new and different and strange? And, you know, because this is, this is Batman now. So there was this thing called virtual reality that was out there. And I had this idea where it's like, hey, what if Batman found himself trapped in a virtual reality world where there's like, he's on this floating platform and there were pterodactyls around him and it's just crazy. And at the end you find out that, you know, the, the guy who's created this world that's trapped him is a 10 year old kid. It's just crazy. And Marty's like, well, you know, 10 years old is young. BSNP would never let us get away with, you know, having a 10 year old as a villain. And I'm like, okay, well, why don't we make him a, you know, 13? And I don't remember if he wrote it up as a pitch. I don't remember if he sent it in. I don't remember anything about it other than, you know, we had this idea about virtual reality and it didn't happen. It was just sort of out there. Um, and they invited us to write a Riddler episode and the Riddler was already a computer villain. Yeah. So it's like, well, why don't we do a virtual reality story with them? Yeah, this naturally fits. Yeah. Now, I don't remember if they said, you know, I don't remember where virtual reality came from. I don't remember if it was me going, hey, let's do this. Or if it was, you know, the network doing it. Or if Marty said, hey, what about that virtual reality? I, I don't remember where the idea came for this particular episode. But we decided, okay, it's going to be a virtual reality, virtual reality episode. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Riddler's going to trap Batman in virtual reality. And that was the basic setup for this for the uh, for the episode. Um, I had just finished a screenplay called Grendel's Bite, which was a computer hacker script, and I'd been writing it for like four or five years, refining it. Because the problem is, it was a tech-based script, and technology changes so goddamn fast mm -hmm. that if you don't rewrite the thing every three weeks, it's outdated every three weeks. <laughs> so I decided, you know, I, I took the script and made it a virtual reality script, where here's this detective living in virtual reality because he's being trapped by this hacker, and one of the things that the one of the things that the hacker does to screw with the detective is he makes him disappear. He gets rid of his bank accounts, his credit cards, his, uh, his driver's license. It's like suddenly, it's like, it's like he doesn't exist anymore. So he gets pulled over by the cops and the cops are like, well, wait a minute, this is all fake. And, and he goes to his eight and he's, you know, he's got nothing left because the computer hacker's done that. Mm -hmm. And so the idea was, well, what if the Riddler was doing it to himself? Yeah, if, I liked that. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So, it's what if the Riddler decided he was going to make himself disappear? The, the, the term off the grid didn't exist back then, but, but he, he wanted to take himself off the grid because his name was Edward Nigma. He was an, en, you know, he was, he was an enigma. Mm -hmm. He wanted to become the ultimate enigma by basically just sort of being a man who doesn't exist. He's the, he is, he, you know, uh, as a person, the ultimate riddle. So his goal in the episode was, you know, I'm going to make myself disappear. I pillaged a lot of stuff from the screenplay. Well, the opening of the screenplay is a guy walking up to an ATM. Right. And he's pressing all the buttons and suddenly he, his bank account's empty. And he's like, what's going on, you piece of shit? And then yeah. as I described it in the screenplay, the piece of shit ATM starts spinning money at him. And he's like, buried in money. And he's like, yay! So... Um, Similar to the cold open of what is reality. So the cold yeah. open became, you know, well, what if, well, you know, this guy goes up and, and only, you know, it's the Riddler. So he's not going to, like, give the guy money. Yeah. He's gonna, we're going to literally see his bank account get drained. And then we see the first riddle. Yeah. So it's like, boom, there we are. That, and, and that must have been fun, too, like, writing these riddles into the... Yeah, I'm very curious yeah. about that because it feels like that's difficult and fun. Right. Uh, but there's so much... 
there's so it's like planning any sort of like detective story yeah. or like okay. a, a it's mystery. A lot of math. Let, me, let me let me tell you um, the secret to writing riddles for the Riddler. Please <laughs> let Marty do it. <laughs> All right, you got it here. You, you got, got it. it on the podcast, That's guys. Right. You need to write a Riddler Call riddle. Marty let Marty and do have it. Him write the riddles. Marty um, Eisenberg, king of riddles. Every single riddle in there is his. I put little asides in there, kind of like you know, because at one point it's like. You know, if I if the world was equitable, I'd still have my former job. It's like, oh, it's it's the World's Fair at the Ex- Exposition Park, and I'm like, oh, give me a break. And we gave that line. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Robin has that, <laughs> has that line. So whenever and, and also, who did crazy intent locomotive? That would be Marty. Alrighty. And the whole thing about uh, what forty sixty seven being the the square of sixty four squared yeah. or whatever. Yeah, all that stuff was Marty completely. He loves thinking that way. He loves riddles. If you had said, "Hey, Bob, you're going to write a Riddler script," I, I, I probably would have jumped out a window. <laughs> no, it's like I, I'm sorry, I don't think that way. The the riddles start coming up. There's the first one that shows up on the ATM, yeah. and then there were others. One shows up at the stock market. Mm-hmm, a third mm-hmm. one shows up. Uh, where's the third one show? Maybe up? the DMV. Is the that DMV? DMV. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Well, the riddles. You know, it's like okay. What the Riddler is doing is he's making himself disappear. And toward that end, if he makes himself disappear from the computers, that's not enough. You have to get rid of the hard copies. So he has to go places like the DMV and to, you know, police headquarters where they have files on him. Mm -hmm. And he gets rid of the files. If there are no physical files, if there's no computers, there's no Edward Nigma. He's gone. So, okay, um, he needs to go to police headquarters he needs to go to the DMV. Mm-hmm. So the, the question is, how do we get him to the DMV? And more importantly, how do you get Batman to the DMV? Uh, and you want to start the episode off with, you know, a riddle. So Marty came up with this idea of, you know, what, you know, have, do you remember the riddles specifically? Uh, there were so many. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, of which one. Where does a 500-pound gorilla sleep? Right. Millipede with flat feet. Right. <laughs> I wrote down a handful of these. And the next one was... Uh, how, do you, how, do you, how, how many elephants can you put in a sedan? That yes. was the question. And I think Alfred helps solve them, right? He helps, Alfred helps solve them. Um, what Marty figured out was, we need to get them to the DMV. And in a flash of complete inspiration, he goes, DMV... Those are all Roman numerals. Mm-hmm. And so we came up with riddles that would involve those numbers. And that's how Batman got to get to go to the DMV. And also there was, uh, well, he, he needs to get the stuff from police headquarters. How does he get that stuff? Well, when they deliver the virtual reality, uh, you know, the, the box, it's like, oh my God, there's this giant crate and it's ticking. So everyone has to leave the building. And these two cops are like, hey, get out. You need to get out of the building right now. And then you follow these two cops who've been ushering people out. You're following them into the file room where they start looking for the Riddler's stuff because they're working for him. It's like, you know, all genius, all fantastic. Um, And I think it's one of those satisfying heist plans where everything just kind of fell into place. Like, that's what I love about Riddler episodes in general and this one in particular. Yeah, a lot of the stuff, like, it falls into place um, because the writers work their asses off. <laughs> well, yeah, it seems doubly hard to write that kind and, of an yeah. episode. In that case, you know, in that case, I mean, you know, I'm laying it all at Marty's feet. I and mean, he came up with these great riddles. Um, I forget if, you know, I mean, the, the idea of going in for the hard copies, the idea of, you know, erasing themselves from the computer, a lot of that was, was lifted from 
my screenplay. Mm -hmm. Ideas are worth their weight in gold. It's where everything comes from is the idea. But they're also, ideas are worth their weight in helium. Hmm. Because without the execution, they're nothing. So it really comes down to the execution. Because everyone has good ideas. People have good ideas five times an hour. Unless you have the execution, you really have nothing. And this was an episode that was was purely about execution. Every act should have a set piece. Every act should have an action sequence so that there's no point where you're just watching people talking and figuring shit out. Mm-hmm. So, okay, we need to get them to the DMV, but what happens that, well, we need to have a fight at the DMV and, you know, we need to have something spectacular happen, you know, at the beginning of act two. And so you have this, you know, this, the fight inside the DMV where one of the characters picks up a, um, a license plate and throws oh, yeah. it at Batman's feet. Yeah. And like, like, like hits him in the back of the calf and knocks him down. The other guy picks up one of these rods that you use for the velvet ropes and bashes him in the mm-hmm. stomach. And it's like, oh my God, that's some serious shit. They're pushing over yeah. heavy file cabinets yeah. on him. Yeah. It was I mean, it's, violent. It's, it is violent. But they, it was they great. did not shy away from violence on this show. Well, there's also a robot driving a car that's trying to kill him that it's full of yeah. like nitro. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty exciting stuff right there. Yeah. I remember yeah. reenacting some of these scenes with my figures, which are sitting in front of you <laughs> yeah. right here. Uh, like, I remember, like, using my Riddler figure, and, it, like, qu- I would, like, you know, force my mom to sit there and watch, like, a 45-minute version of this by, like, a kid who had no sense of anything. <laughs> like, just, like, regurgitating lines <laughs> from hilarious. a script that you wrote yeah. and then making it worse. <laughs> <laughs> like, just making it worse. <laughs> um, yeah. So there you go. You got to bore your mom. With yep. <laughs> oh, she knows a lot about Batman now. <laughs> now she's writing for the series. <laughs> yeah, too late. Do you like commercials? Too bad, for I, the Riddler, have gotten rid of them. And now the time will be filled instead with my personal poems. Ahem. Daylight breaks through the cracks of your window ceiling. Two doors down, a pile of mildew turns into mold. Where doth the Riddler go? Nobody has any idea. End poem. You can get more poems like that if you order right now my two CD set of Riddler poems available on vinyl or CD or even on a VHS tape. If you order the VHS tape, there's no video. It's just me reading over snow for two and a half hours. That's right, two and a half hours. You'll get all sorts of poems like this one entitled Where the Left Socks Go. Where the Left Socks Go. That's it. It's a conceptual poem that is only one line long. And if you act now, I'll throw in as a bonus a picture of myself with a half erection. It's a portrait I painted of me, lifelike in every detail. My scraggly gray beard, my ears, my liver spots, and the liver spots on my half erection. I can't achieve full erection because I have an exit valve in the end of my penis. One other thing, do you have things in your home that need getting rid of? Call me, the Riddler. Whether it's a garage, a basement, a dusty nook and cranny in your attic, or simply your grandmother. I can take whatever things you have lying around that you don't want lying around and make them go lie around somewhere else. Where, you might ask? Other people's houses. I take business from you, and I transfer it to other people, then I take business from them, and someday transfer it back to you. 
That's right. You can be part of an ever-evolving daisy chain of garbage piling up in corners of people's houses, conveyed by a troll with small hands that really creep people out because my fingers are too long for my palms. No, it's not Marfan syndrome. I just have creepily long fingers because I'm a humanoid troll. And one other thing. If you've never seen what troll snot looks like, come on down and visit me in the winter months. I always get bad rhinoviruses, and my sinuses get infected on an average of once every two and a half weeks. If you come down, I will give you as much of my snot as your pink little mouth can carry. Free of charge, you'd be doing me a favor by getting rid of something of mine for once. You scratch my back, I'll fuck yours. Thank you, it's the Riddler. Goodbye, wooshy wooshy fib fab. Um, okay, so the new Riddler was the product of Marty Pasco and David Wise. And we inherited him. And what we also inherited was John Glover, who was a genius. He was incredible. His, His performance is amazing. It's it's icy, it's dry, it's ironic, it's smarmy. He loves the sound of his yeah. own voice though, you know? It's 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 a thing of beauty and it's utterly utterly fantastic and it's it's scary and it's funny and it's like I can't say enough about the performance that, that we got and uh, it was it was awesome. This was Marty's chance to write the Riddler. Like, I got my chance to write Wolverine. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, um, the Riddler, I think, is a character who most closely resembles Marty because, you know, he's pure intellect and really smart and just sort of, like, thinking around corners and stuff like that. So um, when it came to doing a lot of the dialogue rewrites, like, you know, we, we pass this stuff back and forth. And I'm yeah. like, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm mucking with dialogue here, I'm mucking with dialogue there. I didn't touch the Riddler's dialogue because it was like, this is going to be Marty's voice. There was one line in it where it's like... Um, they're talking about Commissioner Gordon and the, the jeopardy he's under, and it's like, uh, um, you know, if his 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 heart is going to stop if you know you don't save him in fifteen minutes, and I change the line to his ticker because you know ticker and fifteen minutes yeah. is sort of a play on words on time, and and Marty was like, no no no, the the Riddler would never say ticker. Now in the previous ep episode, the Riddler had referred to Robin as a little snot. Mm -hmm. They figure if he's going to call Robin a little snot, I think he'd use the word ticker. <laughs> but Marty wanted to use the word heart. Marty felt this was the right voice for his Riddler. And my feeling is this is his Riddler. This yeah. is his chance to write this character who is so perfect for him. I'm not going to fuck with that. You know, you, you, there's, there's a point where you step back and let you know the person go with their passion. It's like, okay, yeah. you care this much about this one line, may, you know, like why yeah. not? Yeah, 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 and it wasn't a matter of the line; it's a matter of like the whole character. It's yeah. like, you know what? Um, you know, this guy is yours. Just, you know, this should be this should be your definitive statement on this character. Yeah. So, um, Yak, what was your experience watching the show when you were younger? Like, did you, was the Riddler a character that stood out for you? Or like, I know for me, I loved the Riddler. Yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. wanted more Riddler episodes <laughs> based on, I think there were only three in the yeah. original run, and then there was like, he showed up once later when they redesigned it. Yeah, I really loved, I, I loved the, um, like, the real world that they built in uh, Batman the Animated Series, but I gotta say, I really did also love the Clayface episodes. Just watching the show, yeah, like, it was just so serious and so dangerous, and it would, the, it, would it was like, I think the only cartoon that came on when it like started getting dark outside. So it seemed like an event, you know, it was like nighttime television and, uh, well, cause I think the original premiere, it was like a weird, like a, 
not quite prime time, yeah. but it was like a 7 p.m. or yeah. 6 something. It was like later in the evening, and then it became like an afternoon show. Yeah. Which was explained to me. The series was doing so well and had gotten so much critical acclaim that they decided they were going to show it in prime time at one point, and they picked a handful of episodes to show in the evening. Yeah. yeah. Um, they picked a handful of episodes. I think it was like, you know, 10 or so. I don't remember the exact number. But at that point, we had done What is Reality and His Silicon Soul, and they picked both of those episodes. Oh, man, that's awesome. fantastic. <laughs> I think that we were the only ones, aside from maybe Paul Dini, that got multiple episodes shown in prime time. That's so cool. And I was trying like not to point that out to anybody. At that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, whatever, yeah. by the way. Also, yeah. you, you realize that this episode is uh, the basis of the Super Nintendo game has a level based on your episode? Oh, I didn't There's know There's a Riddler level where you fight through the chessboard, and it is styled oh, from that. that. That's yeah. insane, yeah. So they would pull from their, their favorite. That's and also, cool. it's like such a great set piece for a video game yeah. as well. Did you yeah. see the movie Batman Forever? Yes, <laughs> I... <laughs> Let's see, the Riddler's a computer criminal, and at the end there's virtual reality, and his brain gets turned into tapioca. And the helmet that they put on kind yeah. of looks similar. Huh. Also, yeah. their Two-Face kind of copied something. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two-Face gets thwarted when uh, Batman takes a whole bunch of coins and throws them in the mm -hmm. air. And, and uh, you know, that came from Michael Reeves, folks. Yeah, I mean, all of it seemed like it was mm -hmm. taken from the animated yeah. series. Well, you know what, but here's the thing is, if you're going to write a Batman movie. Why wouldn't you go to the best material? Batman at that point was, I'm going to say, 50 years old. And there were 50 years worth of comics, and some of them were goofy and silly, and there's Batman on Mars with Robin with goldfish bowls on their heads, <laughs> and nothing else to protect them from the lack of elements. Uh, you know, and, and you're going through all that stuff, you're going to go through all the stuff from the 70s, all the stuff from the 80s, I mean, it's fucking crazy. So why wouldn't you just go to the place that distilled it all the best, and that people decided, you know, was, hey, this stuff's great. So, um, if I had to guess, it looked like the people who wrote the Batman movies, certainly the second two movies, were taking an awful lot of cues from the animated series. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze. I yeah. can't tell you how disappointed I was as a kid going into Batman <laughs> and Robin and seeing Mr. Freeze's story, but like, Kind uh, yeah. of butchered yeah. by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. So, but but they but they they got all of their cues right. from the animated series. Sure. Yeah, and absolutely. So, Nora Freeze didn't exist before that yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah. I made an allusion a few seconds ago to turning the the, the Riddler's brain into tapioca, and uh, um, that's that's something I lobbied on very early on because here's the thing with the Riddler. What do you do when you catch him? Do you put him in Arkham, Arkham Asylum? No. He's not crazy. He's a career criminal, but he's not nuts. He's not like the Joker. He's not, he's not insane. So you put him in prison. Well, what's prison? It's a puzzle Puzzle, box. yep. <laughs> so you figure he's going to be out in between 48 hours and two <laughs> weeks, depending on how much he wants to, how much time he wants to take. It's, it's a puzzle. He'll get out. The only thing the Riddler really really treasures is his intellect so the only way to punish him is to take it away and so 
I was like, okay, the only way to deal with this guy is this. We have to turn his brain into chocolate pudding. Yeah, you we fried his brain did. at the end yeah. of the episode. Yeah, and that was that's thing I'm particularly proud of because I <laughs> really wanted to do that. I mean, it's you know you can take him away in handcuffs and it's like ah, I'll be back, Batman. You know we will. But at the end of this episode, you know it's like you know solving that riddle. You know that, that's a riddle no one will ever solve. I mean, this the shot of him. Staring off and this sort of like 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 gibbering little jaw, and beady just sort of like eyes, beady yeah. eyes, and he's just fried. It's it's a really frightening image. It's yeah, scary. As a kid, it was creepy. Dude. Yeah, it was so creepy to see that. Yeah. At which point, I want to um, point out Dick Sebast directed the episode, and I just want to mention his name because that episode was directed like nobody's business and all the surreal stuff. Which brings me to something else. Yes, um, <laughs> we wrote. An episode that happens in a different dimension, which is really stylized. And yet Batman the Animated Series is in a universe that's really stylized. So while we're writing the episode, it's like, well, how, how are we going to make the world look different? How, how, how are they going to convey that we're in a different universe? And we came up with this incredible idea. We'll let them figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> And then you watch the episode and you go into the virtual reality world and everything is rendered in black and red and everything, there's this strange sound behind Which it. Which was the virtual reality of that era. That was the virtual board. Yeah. That's what it looked right. like. So yeah. it was like mimicking that style. And I yeah. think it it's such a great way. It looks great in yeah. this series too because it almost mirrors the way that like the television clips looked or, you know, everything yeah. was kind of like black and white or like almost like a, I don't know, sepia sort of yeah, 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 yeah. scale. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's one of those cases where I had no idea how they were going to do that. I, you know, it's like, well, if this doesn't work, that there's no episode. And so when you wrote down like a bunch of question marks, shoot, the, uh, like, yeah, well, themselves at Batman, like how was that written? Like what yeah. what was there on the page? What was there in the boards? What was there in the final? I don't have the script right in front of me. I don't remember how that scene was written. But when you write these scripts. When you write a screenplay, you don't direct from the page. You don't. It's a sign of an amateur. In animation, if you don't direct from the page, you haven't done your job. So every single thing that you're seeing, every cut, every close-up, everything, is all described cool. in the script. So, you know, Batman opens the door and finds three question marks. Mm -hmm. Angle on the question marks. They pivot toward him with, you know, the... With the, the, the dots in the bottom are now facing, and you know, blam, 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 they fire at him. And I mean, all of that's written out, all of that's described. So, um, you know, the specific angle when he opens the door and the um, locomotive is coming at him and jumping out of the way, and yeah, I mean, that was perfect. <laughs> all, all of that's described on the page. If you read yeah. the script, it's all right there because yeah. all of it's so surreal, too. Like, I love the Escher, you know, yeah. kind of like yeah. the, the you know, when Robin and Commissioner Gordon first walk inside of the virtual reality world. Uh, I love the ending, the Baxter's box yeah. puzzle where Batman gets to turn his fists into <laughs> yeah. those big sledgehammers yeah, and yeah. the multiplying uh -huh. Riddlers and Batman. Like, what a fun, way, what a fun solution too! Like, I love Bat. I love seeing Batman outsmart the Riddler. And yeah. that came from a joke in the beginning that later on kind of took on a life of its own. Because initially, you know, the joke was. You know, yeah, I solved a Rubik's Cube once, uh, you know, in 35 seconds. Uh, had a hammer. And, and so, but and then later on, it's like, it's like, hey, why doesn't he do that? Oh, so, so you actually wrote that joke first and were like, wait, if this, then what? Yeah. 
it's been 25 years. <laughs> so you mean you don't but remember my, it like it's yesterday? <laughs> but my recollection was we made the joke first, and then later on it was like, oh, Batman can do this. That's I love it. That, that being said, I mean, frequently you do write the stuff backwards. You are laying sure. track. Well, that's what's so surprising to me. I think that's so cool that you were able to use something innocuous from the beginning of the episode. And I did notice when rewatching it, I was like, that's so fulfilling to watch that yeah. happen, to actually visualize the thing that was just kind of casually mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Well, in comedy, you use callbacks all the time. Right, yeah. In the script, when you get to the end of the script, you're using all the stuff that you've given yourself in the beginning of the script. So sometimes y'all take a line like that and build it into something. Or sometimes you'll have the payoff and say, okay, let's lay the track for this. So it could easily have been he turns his hands into hammers. Hey, why don't we have a line earlier where? But I seem to recall, because it was a joke I made at the time, you know, about, you know, it's easy to solve a Rubik's Cube. You just need, you know, a crowbar and a, you know, so <laughs> yeah. I think I, I think that what happened was the joke came first, then the image came later. Um, but it could easily have been the other way around. And sometimes you're laying the track backwards. And sometimes when you're going forwards, you just say, oh, wait a minute. Let's, let's grab that thing from earlier. So, uh, you know, let's just say it's like a callback and callback. Yeah, yeah, definitely. With the Riddler in particular, I imagine you have to lay a lot of track. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it all comes down to the riddles. And yeah. a lot of writers, I think Len says he hates writing the Riddler because you have to write the riddles. I think I could write one Riddler episode and be done for life, probably. <laughs> you get all your riddles you out. Got it all out. <laughs> um, I can write a great Riddler episode if Marty's there to write it for me. <laughs> uh, what is reality? That title came from Marty. Um... It's, it's a line that goes back to either Groucho Marx or somebody imitating Groucho Marx. And it's, you know, the, you know, the question is, well, what is reality? And at that point, the person takes their finger and puts it through their glasses, and you realize that there's no actual glass in their frames. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a, a gag that uh, I think Marty was doing that at parties peri you know, periodically. Well, what is reality? And he loved that line. I tried to come up with a different title because I just like bouncing titles around and stuff. And it was like, no... That's that's the title. <laughs> what were some? Do you remember any of your alternate titles for the episode? No idea, because um, I was bouncing shit around, just throwing words around, and it's like, well, what about uh, uh, Computer World? Each Batman, you know, like, you <laughs> yeah, know, whatever. Just just, yeah. Longer, yeah. longer. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so I'm like, I'm like grabbing linguine and spaghetti and throwing it in my own face, and mm. friends like, you know what? No, why? You know, it's what is reality? It's a fucking great title. Yeah. So we went with what is reality. Um, the Superman episode that we did was the first episode after the three-part pilot. It was three parts, right? Yeah. It, it was, was, was Gargoyles that had a five-part opening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did a three-part story. And we were the episode. We did uh, Fun and Games, the Toy Man episode. Uh, my title for that was Toys in the Attic. Hmm. really wish they'd use my title. <laughs> um, that was the first episode that they did in Superman that wasn't part of the pilot. It went to an animation house that really, 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 really wanted the gig. Like, we want to, you know, we, we want to do this. We, we want the Superman gig. So they took this episode and they threw everything they had at it. It's incredible. It's, it is directed so great. It's, it's one of my favorite episodes. I actually didn't, you know, as a kid, when I saw it, I didn't know that Superman was a new series like I was that I don't know I guess when you don't have the internet and like I don't know yeah. where I would have found out like I guess through commercials and stuff but I remember accidentally stumbling on it and fun and games was the first episode I watched 
and I fell in love. Like, I didn't really have a passion for Superman mm -hmm. until I watched that episode. Well, that was an instance where we were brought in to write for Superman. We were the first people who were brought in for, uh, you know, we were the first outside writers that they brought in, you know? I mean, they had some people in-house, um, but we were the first people that came in from outside, and we wrote the very first episode that was, um, you know, not the pilot. Um, so it's like, hey, you know, we're bringing you in. You get to write for Superman. And I'm like, we're getting to write for Superman. And they're the first people we're bringing. We're the first people they're bringing in. And you're going to write the Toy Man. And I'm looking at, what? <laughs> toy Man? Okay. I'll write the Toy Man. <laughs> What's not happy about the Toy Man? I mean, of all the Superman villains, the Toy Man, really? But they, they gave us a story. I mean, the, you know, the basic story was one that was given to us. And... The, the, the edict was, we want you to make this creepy. <laughs> it's my favorite villain on that series is that version of the Toy Man. We made it really goddamn creepy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were very happy with the level of creepy that we brought to it. But, um, but yeah, that was a story that was, was given to us. I think it was Paul Dini who came up with the overall story. And... Yeah, it was a, that was a fun one to write. That was really fun because we got to... Oh, my God. That was an episode where a lot of good stuff got thrown over the side. Um, like what? Well, Superman shows up at the Toy Man's house before going to that big barn warehouse. Like, you know, he's tracking down the Toy Man and he goes to the Toy Man's house. And he opens the door and there's this giant wind-up toy Lobo waiting for him. <laughs> this giant... And they just, they just get into it, they just beat the shit out of each other before Batman, you know, lays waste to it. And it's just, it's lying there as a big pile of junk. And uh, I loved that. And they were like, you know, we can't do that because we're going to, we're going to use Lobo. And I'm like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> and at one point, all these toys come flying at him. And the toys were going to be amalgams of Rorschach and Dr. Manhattan and oh, Night Oh, that's Owl so cool. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm the guy who wants to throw in all the little things. Yeah, let's get that fan service the in there. Yeah, because yeah, it, it, you know, if it doesn't mean something to a lot of people, that's fine because they'll still get the joke. Right, but for evil the toys. Who really get the joke, oh my God, did you see that? Yeah, so yeah. that was those were a couple that, uh, that got thrown over the side, which was too bad. There was um, my, <laughs> my favorite gag in the whole episode. I was really, really supremely proud of. I mean, it's so fucking funny. And then I look back in the script to see how I had described it, and it's not in my script. Paul <laughs> Dini what is it? it What's your favorite? Paul, Paul Dini added it later. Which is, well, um, Lois Lane, there's a knock at her door, and she opens the door, and there's a box waiting for her, and she opens it, and there's a little doll inside. Right. And the doll goes, I'm Princess Nighty Night. And it waves a magic wand, and this dust goes into Lois Lane's face, and she passes out. Nighty and the dog night. Goes, Nighty night. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, I delivered. And then I went back to look at the script and it's like, Paul delivered. <laughs> <laughs> I, one of my favorite, honestly, this is the weirdest thing. One of my all time favorite sound effects in anything ever is in that episode. And it's the sound that that giant robot ducky makes. <laughs> <laughs> when it goes like wah or something like okay. that when it crashes um, through things okay you know what that duck was supposed to be initially what plucky duck <laughs> uh -huh. 
Oh. It was going to be Plucky Duck. And it's like, it's like yeah, no, it's it's a giant rubber duck. A giant evil <laughs> it's Plucky a rubber, Duck. It's a, it's a giant rubber duck. But I thought it would be so fucking funny if it was Plucky. <laughs> Superman just beating the crap out of a giant Plucky Duck. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, and those are the little things where it's like, you know, it's not a, it would it would have been a nice little plus, but it's really not necessary. And also there's, there comes a point where if you make too many references to outside things, it takes you out of the thing that you're actually watching. Sure. And that's that's a problem. Yeah. It's destroying so, the reality in a, in a little way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, you know, there are jokes that bring you into the reality better, and there are jokes where it's like, you, you just took me right out of your movie, dude. You just did it. Um, so well, I remember as a kid there was like an early Batman the Animated Series episode where one of the guards is reading a Tiny Toons comic uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like wait a minute <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> what huh <laughs> Are they in the same yeah, yeah and, and, and it's, it's okay if it doesn't take you out but as soon as it pulls you out it, it, yeah so I think that I think they were absolutely right about Plucky Duck you know I mean it would have been fun it would have been nice it would have been my chance to write Plucky Duck but uh, <laughs> but that duck is so fucking funny. I love it's, it. It's so innocuous looking. It's so utterly brainless as it's destroying this boat. Yeah. <laughs> and just smashing it to pieces. And it's beautifully animated. Beautifully, everything in that episode is beautifully animated. In the beginning, there's a shot of, uh, bat, of a Superman flying. And he's over the city. And nothing is nailed down. Because you're flying. And he's flying. So, like... The city is not still, it's moving. And Superman, and so it's get the kind of seasick moment. And then the world rights itself as Superman swoops down after this armored car. So it was it was this beautiful moment where it's like, oh my god, I <laughs> it's it's one of these things where you're watching the episode and going, my name is on this and I feel so good because all the animation on the episode was just superb well that opening sequence that set piece kind of with the uh, the bouncy ball that like beats up an armored tank I love the bouncy ball sequence I love the bouncy ball sequence it's such a great introduction to that character and also Dopey Doe was fantastic yes well the thing I liked about the ball was that it beat the shit out of Superman yeah I use very bad language by the way (laughs) oh that's okay um yeah, I mean, I like the idea of Superman being vulnerable. I liked the um, the way that uh, the Fleischer Superman could get knocked out of the sky, and you know, when something would hit him, it would hurt him. I mean, you know, he, it's 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 you you could knock him out of the sky, and so having this ball, you know, just like smashing the shit out of him until he finally catches it, just um, grinds was, it to dust. Yeah, that was that was a great sequence. I mean, it it looks it looks just so beautiful. Um, when on this track of like writing for all these shows and characters that you love, you you just realize that you and your partner are like, dude, we're hot shots. We're the hot shots right now. Like we're the guys, you know. Well, you know that's. I never felt like I was that. Uh huh. I never did. Um, the thing that struck me was, I'd be at my computer and it's like three in the morning, and I'm working really hard. And suddenly I'm like, wait, what am I? I can't do this. I have to get to work. <laughs> and I realize, oh, wait a minute. I I am working. Because <laughs> you, know, you love doing this stuff so much. And then you realize, wait, um, this is this is what I would be doing if I could get away from the stuff that I should be doing. Because this, uh, it's, 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 that's, awesome. that's, that's when you know that you love what you do. When... It becomes more fun than any recreation. 
you know? I mean, if you have to step away from your script because, oh, yeah, right, I have to, you know, like, like this show is on. I need to, you know, get this off my TiVo. But when it becomes more work to watch your favorite show than to write, you know you're in the right business. And uh, there were many, many points where, you know, I've been, like, in the middle of writing something and had to remind myself, it's, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I, I am working. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's beautiful, man. I love that. Yeah. That's so cool. What are you working on right now? Yeah. Right now, I'm working on a screenplay. Cool. I've taken the last couple of years to, to work on a romantic comedy and a swashbuckling adventure. So I've just been hired to adapt a novel by a Swiss novelist. It's a fantasy novel, and it's really, really, it's really strange. It's very dark, and it's very fun. And I'm just going to have a blast with it. Awesome. So that's cool. what I'm working at right now. That's so cool. Great. Yeah. That's Yak, awesome. is there anything else you want to share? No, man, I just, uh, I, I haven't seen Bob as often as I used to, and it was just great, like, just making each other laugh in class, and then just sitting around eating pancakes or whatever at Bob's and making each other laugh. What was that thing Going called at to... uh, BJ's? The, what was that? that, that oh, Pazookie? The Big Cookie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah this episode yeah. is sponsored by BJ's Pazookie. <laughs> Get a giant cookie, and you'll go kooky. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just eating the worst food and talking about all the stuff we love. It's That's really the best. Fun. Yeah, yeah. That's, That's really the best. Cool. Well, if there's anything else you want to know, let me know. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much for yeah. talking about your experiences. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, I didn't say much. I was just so... We'll uh, get you on again. That, yeah, <laughs> great. It'll be great. It'll be awesome. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks, Very Justin. cool. All right, guys, there you have it. Another Batman the Animated wait Podcast. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, come on. There's one more thing I gotta get rid of. What? It's me. It's me, Justin. I need to go. Oh, my God. Don't point the flamethrower at yourself. Yes, I will incinerate myself with magic right here in your living room. That's not magic. Isn't it? Watch! Whoosh! You just said the word whoosh, but you didn't press the gun button. I don't have the heart to do it. I need you to do it for me. I'm not going to kill you. You seem like you don't really like me very much, and I thrive on other people's approval, and I can't bear it, so here, take my flamethrower. Get rid of me. I'm not going to burn you alive. Okay, then just take my flamethrower, because it's really heavy, and i got to walk down to the bus stop. I can keep this? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a magic, uh, yeah, what's a magic? Yeah, keep it. You can get rid of your own stuff from now on. You know what? Not bad, Riddler. Not bad. <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, I need to borrow, like, $300. $300? Yeah, like $300. I am in some trouble with some very scary people. I they... barely know you. You showed up in my closet and just started throwing things away. And well, whose fault me. is that? You left your closet unlocked. Okay, look, I have two bucks and I have this old cheeseburger. I'll take the cheeseburger and leave the dollars. All right. Just... It's good. It's good. Okay. All right. Goodbye, Justin. All right. I hope I never see you again. Likewise. Well, cool. What an episode. A troll walked into my closet, turned everything I love to ash, and then left. Oh, guys. I actually might miss that guy. Okay, if you liked what you heard, please rate and subscribe to Batman the Animated Podcast in iTunes. Seriously, the positive reviews and ratings are the lifeblood of this podcast. Don't let one-star review vampires bring the party down, then helsing your way into my heart with a five-star review. That made total sense. You get it. But, you know, leave a nice review if you want to. Don't lie. If you don't like it, uh, I would just prefer you don't leave a review. But it's the internet. You can do whatever you want. And boy, do you. And hey, 
Riddle me this. Do you guys like stickers or other merch like t-shirts and mugs and more t-shirts or stickers? The other thing I already said. Do you not care at all? I'm thinking of making a limited edition special something. So tweet at me at BTAS podcast or at Hey Justin and let me know if you're interested because that'll probably dictate whether or not I make something and how to disseminate them to fans of the show. Um, the email is BTASpodcast at gmail.com if you just don't have Twitter. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, produced, and edited by me, Justin Michael. Tom Smith created the show logo, Casey Trela helped produce the theme song, and Harry Chaskin is the voice of the podcast. Thanks to Jace Armstrong for playing Kevin Conroy Bot and Alex Berg for not only playing Riddler, but completely improvising that fake commercial in one take. I'd also like to thank my guests, Yak Manrique and Robert N. Skier. I also forgot to thank Hector Navarro for helping set up the Jeffrey Combs interview a couple episodes back, and Pat Jansen for sound engineering the Andrea Romano interview. Last but certainly not least, thank you, thank you, thank you to Tori Malatia, who quit This American Life to work on our show recently and immediately complained. If the planet were equitable, I'd still have my old job. See you guys in a couple of weeks for another Batman the Animated Podcast.